Now let's hear the same story from the New International Version. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this is the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Now from Psalm 126. Excuse me, Psalm 139, starting at verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And now the gospel from John 16. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. So during pandemic life, I began doing things that many of you probably have done. Uh, begin watching TV series that you probably wouldn't pick to choose uh, to watch. In this case, it's the series 
community. The series follows a growing relationship of a ragtag group of students as, of all ages as they support one another in their Spanish class together. In one minute episode, the gang decides to help Abed, pictured here, I think, second from the left, help him with his love life. And you can see that Abed constantly misses social cues. He takes things literally. He has difficulty understanding or displaying emotions. And so they think they really need to help him. Because he's on the autism spectrum, they all jump into support when it appears that another student expresses interest in him. Abed goes along with their attempts to counsel him in the art of romance. But when they discover her interest was actually for another student who actually looked like him, they feel bad for him, thinking that he is crushed by the outcome. So listen to their interaction. They say to him, so we didn't damage your self-esteem or anything? He responds, Britta, I've got self-esteem falling out of my butt. That's why I was willing to change for you guys. Because when you really know who you are and what you like about yourself, changing for other people isn't such a big deal. In many ways, despite his social awkwardness, Abed has something that we all hope to have. Abed's complete sense of self allowed him to be so comfortable in his own skin that he was able to change and accommodate for others without feeling threatened or insecure. His character demonstrates a strong sense of being what I call a community of one. I'll explain this term in a few moments, and I wonder if having this quality might have, might have prevented some of the things that happened this week. Today we begin a new series entitled Called in Community. And through this series, we're call, look, going to look at how the understanding of God and the understanding of ourselves is formed in the context of community. It's in, in our culture of seemingly endless therapy and personality tests, we often think that this journey is a solo adventure. If we do enough assessments, if we talk to enough wise counselors, then we and process our hang-ups, then we'll get to the real core of who we are. And it's not that assessments and therapy aren't helpful, but that individualistic approach to our identity creeps into our spirituality as well. Western expressions of Christianity can be highly individualistic. I can get obsessive about my devotional life, my prayer life, my sin, my connection with God, how much I feel God loves me. I listen to my favorite preachers. I listen to my favorite worship music. I read my favorite books, and I follow my favorite Christian celebrities on social media. We often miss out on how much the sense of who we are is formed out of community with God, but also with others, and especially with others who are different from us. It's in this series, while it's not the emphasis of the series, we'll also touch on one significant experience of human community, our sexual relationships. Today, we open the series looking at what it means to be a community of one. In other words, what it means to know who you are and the sense of confidence in that self-knowledge, like Abed illustrated for us. In, this, in the view of the world, the movement to self-awareness is inward and backward. We explore our psyche and explore our past hurts to come to this wholeness. But the story of Scripture provides a different path, a different way for humans to, to walk towards individual wholeness and flourishing. Part of that journey does involve looking inward and looking backward, but it's also 
and especially informed by looking outward and forward. In Exodus 3, we hear of, hear of Moses' burning bush moment that we had uh, Jenna and Jeannie read for us in very creative ways to fill in that picture. He has a burning bush moment when he receives the call from God to lead the Hebrews out of Egyptian captivity. But get this, he's 80 years old at this point when God first speaks to him. If you're not familiar with Moses' story, he was miraculously preserved at birth when Pharaoh had ordered all Hebrew boys under the age of two to be killed. And Moses was then given up by his mom and adopted into a privileged life in Pharaoh's household. In his adult years, he seeks to reconcile this incongruency between his ethnic identity as a Hebrew and his place in life as part of the ruling class of Egyptians. And he tries to forge his identity in a moment of wokeness by killing an Egyptian, abusing one of his Hebrew countrymen. But rather than receiving accolades from his countrymen, he ends up being a fugitive sojourner in the land of Midian. And it's at this point in his life that he is a shepherd living in exile. Now Moses, verse 1, was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The burning bush is a moment of divine encounter, of confirmation, and of calling, and of purpose. When Moses is broken, he's discouraged, he's tired, alone, dislocated from the life that he knew. All the signs point to a man who's experiencing depression. It's a point emphasized by the fact that he led this flock to the far side of the desert. I mean, why would you do that as a shepherd? Take your sheep through the desert to the farthest point for them to graze. Clearly, he's in a place of desolation. His sense of identity and purpose has been smashed to pieces because it doesn't align with his lived experience. And it's at this point that he encounters the Lord in the burning bush. And we hear that sense of despair when he answers the Lord. Verse 11, God gives him the commission and he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I? Moses' question articulates the eternal human longing for wholeness and unity amongst ourselves. We long for our experience, for our goals, and for our purposes to all connect with what's going on deep inside our psyche. Parker Palmer writes in A Hidden Wholeness that we all yearn to live undivided lives. He, he says, we long to live undivided lives, lives that are congruent with our inner truth in a world that is filled with forces of fragmentation. Perhaps that question that has been nagging Moses for 80 years of his life now has found the ear of someone who truly knows the answer. This scene reveals that the way through our broken, incongruent self-identities and purposes doesn't come only from looking inward and looking, working harder. Instead, it comes from an encounter with the one who calls. Our sense of oneness, our sense of completion and flourishing come from encountering the one who has existed before the beginning of time, who created us. He's the same God that formed the same God that formed the earth is the one who temporarily suspends the laws of fire in this bush. This is the same God who Moses will see turn rivers into blood 
and frogs and flies and locusts to invade a nation one after another. Hail and darkness stop upon command. The firstborns of a nation die in one night. God causes the seas to form walls of water for a million people to walk through. Nature is under God's control. All is under God's control. This is the God that Moses encounters and the God that we have come to worship. The creator God who calls Moses is also the one from whom all beauty and all flourishing are derived. Essayist Elaine Scarry eloquently describes how beauty works, saying this, beauty brings copies of itself into being. It makes us draw it, take photographs of it, and describe it to other people. Beauty exists objectively, and we can be copies of true beauty. The radiant beauty that we long for in our humanity to be made complete comes from encountering the radiant and beautiful one. You know, our beauty and wholeness comes not from encounter, uh, comes from encountering the living God without. This idea carries throughout scripture. King David describes in the Psalm 139 that Jeannie just read for us, how the one who calls us is the one who has known us in our mother's womb and formed us. And Jesus reminds the disciples in John 16, 13, that the one who calls us is the one who guides us into all truth, all truth about God and all truth about the world and especially all truth about who we are. When I read a story like this, I must admit that there's a part of me that wishes, God, why can't I have a burning bush moment? It would make life so much easier. We want that aha moment with God where God just shows up and speaks plainly and clearly and dramatically to each one of us to tell us the purpose of our lives and tell us who we are. Moses' life is full of associations with this kind of divine revelation in statements like a burning bush moment, a mountaintop experience, or passing through the waters. If God does it for people like Abraham and Moses and Paul and even Jesus, why can't we expect these kinds of one-on-one times like these with God for ourselves. But as we were just reminded, Moses was 80 years old before this happened. As we look throughout scripture, we realize that these are exceptional instances and that there are infinite others who are figuring out their journey of faith in the context of relationships. God provided Moses with 70 elders to carry the burdens of leadership. Moses relied on his brother Aaron to speak for him and to act as a priest mediating his relationship with God. There is a community called around Moses. And if we pay close enough attention, we actually see glimpses of community, of calling, here in what appears to be, uh, initially appears to be an interaction with one other character. Take a closer look. In verse 2 and in verse 4. In verse 2, we're told that an angel of the Lord appears to Moses in the bush. But when we get to verse 4, We're told, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. So there's this mystery of more than one divine character meeting Moses in this interaction. Commentators have debated whether the angel of the Lord is indeed the Lord God himself or whether the scene is describing a common ancient custom of a messenger speaking on the behalf of the sender. 
Or perhaps it's an angel from within the bush at first, and the Lord God is watching adjacently. But whatever the case it is, there are two identifiable characters, same yet distinct. Commentators have suggested that this mystery of the close relationship in the Old Testament that we see between the messenger or angel of the Lord and Yahweh himself is something that is fully manifested in the person of Christ, who is both one with the Father, yet distinct from him as a second person of the Trinity. Now we're going to unpack this, what this community of three is next week when we look at the Trinity. It would seem that even as God reveals Moses' calling and identity, there is more than one character involved. There is community. We're called to be a community of one by the Lord God, who is a perfect community of three. Apart from encountering and beholding God, we will never experience the fullness of our individual integrity. Imago Dei is a Latin term to describe humans as the image of God or are God's image bearers. The Christian scriptures have always understood humanity from above rather than from within or from below. We understand ourselves. We understand what it means to be human, what it means to be moral, spiritual, intellectual, sexual, and relational creatures. First, by understanding who God is rather than extrapolating from the animal kingdom. To experience the completion of our individual humanity, we as the Imago Dei are ordered in relation to God as a community of three. But as well, to experience the fullness of our humanity is also to be in relationship with others, Coram Deo, before God, in the presence of God. It's inherent in the creation narrative with God providing Eve as a worthy partner to Adam. And we see the relational aspect affirmed in God providing Aaron and the elders to Moses. We see that in the following chapter in Exodus 4. So, tracking where we've been so far today, humans are in this lifelong pursuit to be a community of one, to find wholeness and flourishing and integrity within. And this path to wholeness must come not from within, though, but from without ourselves. To use an analogy of discovering the diamond of our lives. Our culture tells us that if we do the hard work, if we dig deep inside of ourselves and get rid of all the muck and the hard stuff, we will eventually find this beautiful diamond of who we are. But the Christian story tells us that we don't actually know what the diamond is. We don't know how to recognize a diamond by ourselves without looking first to the one who created the diamond in the first place and calls it a diamond and tells us that tells the diamond what is actually valuable. We become whole in understanding who we are by looking to the one who calls, the living God. And we discover that even amongst the one who calls, there is a sense of completion and community exhibited within the persons of the Trinity God. The one who calls is a community of calling. So how does this play out practically? God gave Moses this burning bush moment, and God certainly can give us those moments too, but for the most part, God gives us the church, the body of Christ, to help us hear the one who calls in the day-to-day and the week-to-week, the community of God. Melba Padilla Magay is a Filipino-American theologian. And she writes this, As long as I am the center of my religious experience, the church will function as a cosmetic appendage to my faith. 
rather than central to my way of being in the world. As long as the church is an, is, is an, is an append, uh, as long as I am the center, the church will always be an appendage in, in the way we live in this world. She succinctly critiques the consumeristic attitude towards Christian spirituality in the West. When we think of belonging in church community, we think of it as a collection of eyes instead of the church as we. You know, the background series of our, uh, of our series image is a photo of a woven art piece displayed in the Glick meeting room at the church. I don't know if I have it pulled up here, but oh yeah, there it is. It conveys the vision and the heart of WCF's multi-denominational character and diversity. And we're hoping to embody that as best as we can with the Spirit's help. But that same gift can lend itself towards this tendency to be a collection of eyes. If I prioritize my denominational background or my experience or my theological priorities at the expense of the collective we as the WCF community. The I-ness can creep up in my spiritual practices or my political inclinations. We focus on ourselves as this individual thread rather than the beautiful tapestry that's woven together. This tendency towards individualism is partly why I changed the series title originally from called to community to called in community. And there's two letters, or, or two, two letters, but they make a huge difference. To versus in. If we're called to community, we're individuals, bringing our individuality to a community and sharing our gifts and callings with one another, which is a great thing. And it's part of what we are and what we do together. But if we're called in community, we are a community first that is helping individuals to discern and form our calling and gifts. In the former, the individual is more fundamental. In the latter, the community is more fundamental. Our community has just as much importance in under our understanding of who God is and who we are. Our community has a role to play in answering the soul-searching question of who am I? God has gifted us with the church, the body of Christ, as the primary method of, for God to do the forming work in us towards wholeness. And when we are in com committed community with a diversity of skin colors and ethnicities and ages and cultures and genders and politics, it's in that diversity that we are formed most completely and most fully. It's with people who are different from ourselves, who share different life experiences, and especially who have responded together to the grace of God in Christ, that we are joined together in this family of God. We have become part of a body of many parts, where one part of the body cannot say to another of the part of the body that I have no need of you, as we learned in the Corinthians series last, uh, last season. You know, that means that older and wiser people have something to learn from our children and our youth. Those who hold positions of leadership and influence in society have something to learn from those who are in positions of service. Dominant or AKA white culture has something to learn from people of color and immigrants. Straight Christians can benefit from how gay Christians walk out their faith. We need one another as a community of individuals for each one of us 
to be individual communities of one. And here at WCF, we are making it a priority this year to find ways of building community at various levels and find ways to engage more people in small groups despite the pandemic. We know that that has came, come upon us and has limited us in many ways. But we're, yes, uh, just yesterday, we were meeting as a leadership team to say, how can we push forward in these areas this coming year? I want to invite you, don't be a stranger. Don't be a silent observer. I know you can just watch YouTube and push pause and disconnect at any time, but don't do that in life. Join us, perhaps in the virtual cafe or our 3D deep dive dialogues after the service. In 3D, we want to walk in relationship and wrestle with God's word together so that we might hear God's call for each one of us and that we might affirm God's call in each one of us. And if you can't make those times, then watch for opportunities to connect to small groups. We're going to try and figure that out this year. The small group task force last year has helped us revision the ministry with your input. To be called in community means that we need to be in community. And everybody talks about community. They made six seasons of a sitcom with that title that I opened the message with today. But no one really knows what it means. And so we're going to unpack that over this series in the coming weeks. So let me leave you with just a few characteristics of the kind of community described in Scripture that we'll be, you know, exploring. Number one, community is shared joy and suffering. Sharing in joys and celebrations, but also lows in bearing each other's burdens. Two, community is interdependent flourishing. We believe that it's not just zero-sum game, that we're giving to one another and we're dependent on one another, and that's how we become more flourishing together. Third, community is a spiritual family and kinship. We'll unpack that more in the coming weeks. And fourth, community is where we share costly grace. Grace is giving what us what we don't deserve. And it's in community that we can exhibit that and demonstrate that to one another. Ultimately, this community kind of community is not po possible, not through our intelligence, our love, or the wokeness of each person in the community. It's only made possible through the one who shared his joy and his suffering, through the one who lives an eternally interdependent relationship with the living God, whose actions make belonging to the spiritual family possible, and whose costly grace invites us into ultimate community with the living God. This is the way. This is the way of Jesus. It's the way of true community. It's the way of knowing ourselves fully. So will you join Jesus and join us together and discover the answer to who am I? May it be so.